Welcome to Basecamp, where men join together to seek deeper understanding of authentic manhood and apply principles from God's Word to our daily lives. If you're looking for the next level in men's ministry, join us and experience a life of Christian fellowship with men sold out for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May God be praised. Good morning. Today we're going to be covering the first 66 books of the Bible. Seriously, you guys are challenging me. Like DTS, you go through like one verse and it's a sermon series. This is pretty, this is a lot, but, but we're going to go through it this morning. and It's going to be good. Um, so those of you who have kids in college, you can probably relate to this. It's the dreaded drop-off day. Okay, you've probably been through this. For my oldest daughter, for me, that was the most traumatic drop-off day that I, that I remember. Um, we were dropping Sophie off at VCU, and she seemed really far from ready. Um, she, was, she was young, she was scared, she was sad, she didn't really want to be there, she wasn't sure about anything. And so we had to go anyway. We schlepped her stuff up like 19 floors, because she was at the top, of course, the top floor of the, of the freshman dorm in, in Richmond there. Um, and we got her all set up, and, and, and she looked at us, and you know, it was kind of like she wanted to rip the Band-Aid off, you know, just, just go, just go. So we kind of got together, and we kind of had that, that collective cry, and yes, Dad's cry. Um, and then she asked us to leave and not drag things out. So my, my other kids went out first, and Amy went out after that, and I was the last one out. And I was kind of walking out, and, and I'm closing the door, and she's looking at me right through the door, and she's got these, you know, if you know Sophie, she's got these big, beautiful brown eyes just filled with, just, just filled with tears. And I'm closing the door, and of course, you know, my own eyes are just filled with tears. And it's like I'm closing the door, you know, in that moment, but also on a whole stage of life. Um, I don't know if you've been through that, but it was one of those monumental transitional events. And, and so some of you might be experiencing events like that right now, these events that, that kind of alter the course of your life. Um, it can be positive things like going through college or things like that, but it also can be negative. It can be negative like a diagnosis, a lost loved one, a divorce. Who knows what you, know, you may be going through. Um, but one thing I want you to see is that whether good or bad, these transforming events have one thing in common, and that's that God has a purpose in them. So when we see this, uh, we, I'm attacked by my wire here. Uh, when we see this, uh, they grow us and they advance his glory. So today, today what we're going to look at is, I, I would say, the most significant transitional event uh, possibly in history. It's the, the moment that Jesus passes the torch, if you will, to the disciples, laying the foundation for the church. Okay, so the text we're going to look at, it, we're actually going to start in... Um, Acts 1, 4 through 5, because we're gonna, I want to back up a little bit and catch the, the first part of this. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to go, because this text here, uh, uh, all of this, this whole section, it, it, it really captures uh, the Great Commission we see in Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20, um, as Jesus does this. And what we're going to look at is we're going to see how Jesus accomplishes sort of this passing off of the church, the founding of the church here. And what we'll see is that he first gives the church his mission, its mission, Okay. Next, he leaves the church to its mission. And finally, he completes the church's foundation there, okay? So we'll hopefully also see where we fit in that foundation and how God might be using the circumstances of our lives uh, to further his mission, all right? 
So um, he's moving into, into the text here. He says, uh, Gathering together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. All right. So Jesus' commissioning of the, of the apostles begins with this instruction that they not move out just yet. Rather, they're to wait for what the Father promised, okay, namely the Holy Spirit. Okay, so while Jesus is leaving them, well, he will soon ascend. He's not leaving them alone. There's two things to take away from this that may be fairly obvious. Number one, we have been promised the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to carry out God's mission, that mission that everyone is on. Um, Second, though, we have been ordered to wait. We're in order to follow the Holy Spirit. We don't move out with him. I don't know about you, brothers. I get ahead of the Spirit too much. Uh, and it usually doesn't work out for me. But um, I'm speaking to myself here more than you. But it's not our knowledge. It's not our eloquence or even steadfast commitment to the gospel that, that drives the missio day, that drives God's mission for our lives. It is the Holy Spirit. Paul said this in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 5. He says, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words or wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So, carrying out God's mission, we learned we never move ahead of the Spirit. Okay, so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times uh, or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Okay, so we come to this point, and it looks like the apostles here are confused with respect to to the purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit. They have correctly understood Jesus to be Messiah, of course, and they're still that they're still anxious, they're still anxious for his kingdom, as they have been throughout the, the, the scriptures. Um, now, okay, before we mock the apostles through our gifted lens of hindsight, put yourself in their shoes. Their expectation is actually fairly reasonable. See, the apostles are Jewish, as you know, and so the Hebrew Bible, in it, we see that very frequently the coming of the Holy Spirit is associated with the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. So it was a natural thing for them to expect. Uh, you'll see that in Isaiah 32, 15, Ezekiel 39, 28, and Joel 28, 28. There's, there's a bunch of other verses, but if you, you know, just to, to, to give you the, the text behind that. But as I was saying, it was reasonable for them to anticipate the Holy Spirit would accompany the kingdom. So Jesus lovingly reminds them Okay, I don't see this as a rebuke on Jesus' part. I think he's reminding them that the information they seek is above their pay grade. Okay, but here's the lesson for us, which is this. We also don't know when Jesus is going to return. Okay, and because we don't know that, that makes his next command so important. Okay, because we don't know when time's going to run out on the unregenerate. Uh, And that next command, I'm sure you all know by heart. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth, Acts 1.8. This is the second great missional verse of the Bible, and in it we also see the significance of the Holy Spirit in the context that Jesus intended it. Not as a trumpet of the coming kingdom here, 
but as the source of power that will drive the church's response to the Great Commission. And he gives us that commission, as you all know, in Matthew 28, 19, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded them. Here he restates that with the proposition that the apostles and the church and each of us are to be his witnesses to the entire world. We cannot forget or lay aside this mandate. Okay, it's not optional. Okay, if you're thinking to yourself, it's not really my gift. You know, I think somebody else should do it. You know, it it doesn't work that way. Uh, We all are called to be witnesses of Christ and His resurrection. Every single one of us. In fact, these are his parting words. Think about that. This is the last thing he says before descending. He doesn't say, you all shall be my leaders. He doesn't say, you all shall be my worshipers. He doesn't say, you all shall be my great examples. And he sure doesn't say, you all shall be my consumers. He says, you shall be my witnesses, my witnesses. This is the theme of the rest of the book. Everything we're going to study this semester is really the narrative of the fulfillment of this. It all starts here. All right, so let's, I want to look briefly at that word witness. As many of you know, uh, um, that, that word comes from the, the Greek word martus, okay, from where we get the word martyr, right. Um, and so we've come to know martyr as synonymous with suffering and death. I mean, even actually our, our dictionary, a dictionary definition is a person who is killed because of their religious or other beliefs, right? But the definition of the original Greek word is simply one who affirms or attests. Okay, there's really not an element of suffering in that in the original definition. Um, but against the backdrop of time, we see how in this world, we see what Jesus warned of when he said, in this world you will have tribulation because of my witness. See, it, it, the history, history tells us that it has shaped the world's collective understanding of what it means to be witnesses of Jesus' death and resurrection. It entails guaranteed suffering and possibly even death. Okay, um, are you feeling inspired yet? Um, you should be. Uh, as, you, as you consider where God has you right now, or perhaps where he's leading you, does this thought of being a witness, uh, uh, you know, being a witness as a martyr, does it terrify you? Does it worry you? Does it give you anxiety? If it does, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to run the other way. So that, that unease you have isn't calling you. It's not calling you to be cautious. It's calling you to be bold. It's not a sign to remain quiet and preserve yourself. It's proof that God is using you. He's putting you in circumstances to use you to further his gospel. And he's reminding you again, and this is the key part, that it's not by your strength, but by the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit that you go forth. Okay? Out of our weakness, he is made strong. So Jesus began this transition of his ministry here with the commission. Uh, And no matter what your transition may be at any given time, maybe even right now, the commission is going to be the same. If you're a believer, you are to be his witness. All right. So moving on, we come now to the second phase, I would say, of this transition. For Jesus to, uh, to launch his church, he needed to physically remove himself from it. He had to take uh, his place in what Hebrews 12.2 tells us is uh, at the right hand of the throne of God. So Acts 1.9 says, After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. 
okay? Now see there, the text says a cloud received him. I want you to think about the significance of that, particularly in the Old Testament sense, okay? Throughout the Hebrew Bible, the cloud symbolizes the Shekinah, okay? That's the visible manifestation of God's presence. The obvious examples are, you know, in, in Exodus, the cloud that went before the, the Israelites in the wilderness, we can think of the pillar and the cloud. Um, uh, there's also the cloud that hovered over the tabernacle, uh, tabernacle in the wilderness. Uh, but we also see it in, in the New Testament. Maybe you can think of, of, of one or two times. Um, it's, it's, it's on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Uh, Mark's Gospel says on the Mount of Transfiguration that a cloud formed overshadowing them and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him, okay? So we see Jesus is literally lifted up and enveloped by the Father, taken up by the Father. I want you to contrast this moment just as a side, a side note um, with, with, with this moment here in Acts I'm talking about with the agony that Jesus went through in the Garden of Gethsemane and then again then on the cross, okay? Um, that moment on the cross where the Father looks away, the only moment in history when a believer is separated from the Father. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what he did for me. Um, he had to. He had to be separated. He had to be, the Father abandons his Son on the cross so that we, we, we uh, could be delivered from eternal separation from the Father. But now, in this moment, Jesus is lifted up, the fullness of the Trinity here, back on display. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are one. Just imagine what that must have looked like when Jesus is lifted up into the clouds. Imagine that. It's no wonder it says in the text here that they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside him. And they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand up looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as, he watched, as you watched him go into heaven. In other words, he was just taken into the hands of the Father so he will return. Or just as he was taken, sorry. That is how he will return. But only this time he's not returning to die. He's returning to deliver. Okay, now there's, again, so much here to unpack, and it's not going to happen in 20 minutes or so, but, but I want to at least bring you back to Jesus' transition of his ministry here and the mission of the church and what it says about that theme. And that's this, that, the, uh, it's, uh, that second part, what, what, the, what the angels are telling him about Jesus returning says that this verse, it, it tells us that the mission of the church is inextricably bound uh, to the culmination of the wor- world. Okay. Now, you may be like, duh, of course, yeah. Would we get that? But do we, I mean, how many churches today, and I'm glad our pastor is doing this, but how many churches today are preaching through the book of Revelation? Maybe before you came to BCC, how many of you sat through a sermon series on Revelation? One. Um, The point is that that's important. We should be studying and knowing that book. God actually... Jesus requires it. Read Revelation 1 and Revelation 22, both of those chapters, and it says, Jesus says, this shall be taught. I mean, um, but the, the larger point here is that the gospel is more than a series of like, self-help talks, right? It's, it's more than a series of TED talks. We have to grapple with the final income, uh, outcome, uh, and this is absolutely part of our mission. 
okay? Why? Because our mission is a fundamental part of God's plan, and the end times are part of our witness, and our witness is part of the predestined end times. Let me put it, another commentator put it this way. Missions are an essential element in the eschatological divine plan of salvation. The missionary work of the church is the eschatological foretaste of the kingdom of God, and the biblical hope of the end constitutes the keenest incentive to action. All right, so Jesus now has given the commission and passed the torch to the apostles. Um, So what we're going to see in in these uh, next verses, uh, and there's a lot of text there, but what we're going to see is, is Jesus' kind of divine, the, his divine rolling up of his sleeves to lay the foundation of his church. I'm not going to read through that. What I want you to focus on, though, is that last sentence there. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Okay, so we note that it says earlier they returned to Jerusalem just as they were told. Um, and, and they maybe for the first time in their mis- ministry were continually of one mind, um, but they were also devoting themselves to prayer. Now, there's some debate as to when the church was founded. People go back and forth. Most commentaries will point to Pentecost, okay? But that, that doesn't fit my agenda of making this all about me, so I'm going to work it into my talk. Um, no, but kidding aside, I do believe we see the foundational moment here in the text, Okay? when the text says when they became of one mind. See, the reversal of the curse of Babel, the confusion that God sent into the world until Jesus would make things all, all things clear through himself, that is manifested in Pentecost. But the unity of the mind of the apostles, the very foundation of the church, we kind of see it laid here. Not yet the completed church, absent the power of the Holy Spirit, which empowers and illumines the church, um, you know, we don't have the completed church, but we have the foundation. And Paul said this, he said this in Ephesians 2.20, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, okay? And I want you to notice as we go back to, you know, they returned to Jerusalem, they waited on the Spirit, okay? They did it in obedience. That foundation is laid in obedience to Jesus Christ. They don't question the circumstances of their transition. They don't question whether God is in it. They merely go where he leads, waiting on him, and they find unity in his purpose alone. That is where we need to be. Okay. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of r- run pretty quickly through the rest of the text, okay? But please don't underestimate its importance. I hope on your own time you'll look, look at these, these passages a little more closely. Um, but we are, we are building here to a central point. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, again, I'm not going to read through this, but what we're catch- capturing here in the next section of text is Peter standing up, you know, in, in the midst of the brethren, as it says, and he's fulfilling the prophecy that Judas had to be replaced, okay? Um, and, he, and he says here, uh, you know, for it is written in the book of Psalms, uh, let, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it, and let another man take his office, okay? So, so Jesus, uh, Peter's first thing he does is stand up and he, he, he says, we've got to take care of this business. Uh, what, what I want you to see here is that if what Peter does here that's critical to our mission is that he leads, okay? He leads uh, not only out of the, the revelation given him by the incarnate Christ, though. He leads out of the revelation given him from Christ of all time, okay? Peter ties together the old and the new just as God intended 
I think in this, this really reveals God's plan for the church that was laid before the foundation of the world. See, he references Psalm 69, 25, and Psalm 109, 8, and in doing so, shows that they are to remain obedient to God's plan for the church as it was revealed in the entirety of Scripture. All of it. The mandate was clear. There are to be 12 who form the foundation of the church, and these must be witnesses of the resurrection, okay? Uh, One was missing, and as prophecy prescribed, and he had to be replaced, again, as prophecy prescribed. So again, we see Peter in, more than, in, in one more way fulfilling what Paul described in the foundation of the church that was built on the apostles and the prophets. It's all coming together. God's plan. Now, again, we also see that Peter led. See, when the transition came, when Jesus was lifted up, Peter stepped up. They were not yet ready for their mission. They were waiting on the Spirit, but they had some work to do in the meantime, which was to complete the foundation according to the expressed will of God. So when, when these difficult transitions come in our lives, we can do one of two things. We can retreat and ask God, why me? Or we can step up and ask God, what's next? Right? And Peter did the latter. He stepped up and yielding to God's the word of God, he said, we've got some foundation building to do before we launch this plan. Okay. Uh, finally, we're going to close with this, this development. Um, uh, the significance of which it might, might be overlooked if you're reading too quickly, but it's, it's, it's so important. Okay. So they put forth two men, Joseph called Barsabbas and Matthias, and they prayed and said, you, Lord, know the hearts of men. Show which of these two you have chosen to occupy the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. All right, so what do you see in that text? I'll just tell you. (laughs) It is the manifestation of Jesus' promise in Matthew 28, 20, that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, how do I see that? Well, we could have a whole lesson here on the significance of drawing uh, lots in the Bible, but the bottom line is this. This is the act that leaves the decision to God. It is Jesus who selects Matthias and finishes off the foundation of his church. Um, It also shows us uh, that the biggest part of the apostles' taking of the the torch, uh, the accepting of the transition of the responsibility for the church, is that they know they're not doing it alone, and they're not doing it on their own power. They are yielding to Jesus. They are following his lead. All right, one other point here. Um, I said Jesus finished the foundation of his church, but that's not entirely accurate. You know, he wasn't finished. Indeed, he never stops building that foundation. That foundation was and still is a few stones short, as Peter instructs in uh, 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5, and coming to him as a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You and me, we too are part of that foundation. Okay? If you're a believer, that next stone may be the person right next to you, the person at work. Could be any number of people in your life. If, if you're not a believer yet, that next stone needs to be you. Okay, it's time to join the foundation established before the creation of the world. It's time. Let today be that day. If you're in that boat, join the foundation. 
See, there's one point. Uh, here's, here's one point. There's many points to all of this. It's a lot of text, but just here's one takeaway. Every one of you, and myself included, is facing or will face, perhaps has faced, some way in which God has passing the mantle to you to be his witness through the circumstances in your life. There's always a time where God is going to trust you with his mission. He may not do it, however, in conventional ways. As a stone in his foundation, you're called to step up and trust that God has a plan. No matter the circumstances you're in, he's got a plan. Transition leads to mission. That's what we see here. It led to mission for Abraham when God sent him out from his country and his relatives and his father's house, from everything he knew. It led to mission for Moses when God sent him out from the safety of Midian into the lair of Pharaoh. It led to mission for Paul when God upended him on a horse and sent him blind to a no-name disciple in Damascus. Well, he had a name, Ananias, but how many people knew him? If you're facing transition, you may be experiencing mission. It may seem like God is separating himself from you and moving away, but he's doing so um, to grow you. He's doing so to turn you into that living stone, that witness for him for all of eternity. Um, I want to close with, I'm going to close this with, with prayer, but, but I want to just finish with just, just this much. That my daughter, Sophie, she went to school she was scared. But last December, she graduated from that school, a whole new woman. And in that time, she came to Christ. And in that time, she became this remarkable young lady who's actually now working for one of our brothers, Jim Neighbors, right now, doing some work with him. So transition leads to purpose. It really, really helps. Um, so I want to pray for us now. Uh, and then what we're going to use, maybe walk through these discussion questions. Um, but... I want you all just to reflect uh, on where God has you right now and how that moment is drawing you into his mission to be his witnesses. Father God, we come before you so incredibly, incredibly grateful for what you have done. Father, you, you've, you've made a way for us through the blood of your Son that we can be with you in eternity, Lord. But your work's not done. Your work is not done. You've called us to be your witnesses. You've called your church to stand up and walk in the purpose you intended it. You've called us to be a light to the nations, Lord. I pray that every man in this room would know you, would know you personally, Lord, and would take up the mantle, to take up the, their place in the foundation that you have laid for the church to be your witnesses to this world. Lord, give us the power of your Holy Spirit to do this. Give us the light, Lord. Give us the strength. And may we not walk out without you with us, Lord. And we just pray to you, these things to you, Jesus, and ask that you bless us in your holy name. Amen. One for all.